There's a story in Luke that tells of a couple disciples who are walking with Jesus after he had died three days before, but they don't know it's him. And they start talking about their sadness for Jesus' death. And on this walk, Jesus reminds them of scripture. He takes their misconceptions and he moves them in a new direction. Welcome to the New Community Church Podcast. The story of Jesus with his disciples, it gives a great picture of what Jesus does in our life. Taking our misconceptions when we see loss, when we see death, and showing us a new direction of life and hope and goodness. Preaching on Easter morning, here is Pastor Aaron. Well, welcome everyone to Easter morning. This is Resurrection Sunday, and we are so excited that you're here. I realize for some of you, this may be your first time joining us here at New Community Church. And if I haven't met you yet, my name is Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here at New Community Church. And we're so glad that you're with us. Maybe someone invited you. Maybe you saw a yard sign, or you just came across our Facebook feed. But however you got here, welcome. I want to start by sharing a number with you. 103. To be more specific, 103 miles. That's how far I've walked, ran, jogged this year. And I'd love to tell you I'm training for some marathon or trying to do something great, but it's really just the goal of walking one mile a day. Some of those miles I walked really early in the morning at like 4 a.m. and some of them were late in the evening at 9.30 at night. Many of them were in the cold and in the rain where I had to bundle up and other times I was sweating in shorts and a t-shirt. Some of them, it was really quiet and I was listening to the voice of God as I walked early in the morning just for what he wanted my day to look like. And other times it was loud with all of my family and we're laughing and we're telling stories as we walked our mile together. One mile every single day. And the reason why I start with this story on Easter morning is because That's the very first thing that Jesus did after the resurrection. Sometimes when we come to a moment like this, we think about the cross, like we're going to hear a message about the cross and how Jesus suffered and an explanation of what he went through and how he took our sins upon himself. Other times we think we'll come and it'll be like a victory service and and we'll focus on the empty tomb, right? The resurrection and how disciples are running to the graveside and it's empty and there's an angel sitting there and light shining everywhere and he's yelling, he's risen. But many of us miss another story that happens on resurrection morning. And that is that Jesus took an intentional walk with two of his disciples and he had this conversation. And through the midst of this conversation, God begins to reveal something that is in the disciples' hearts, some misconceptions they had about God, some wrong thoughts that they had about who Christ was going to be and what Jesus should do. And he begins to change the direction of their life through this course and through this interaction that's taking place. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to start reading at verse 13. So Luke 24, 13. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there is um, a Bible on our streaming service. You can click that tab. Or if you have a browser up, just open up a new browser, type in Luke 24. I promise you'll get there. And in case you've never read the story of Luke before, Luke is an amazing storyteller. He's a great historian, extremely accurate And he's painting this picture of the life of Jesus. Luke chooses every word carefully because he's telling us what it means that Christ has come and what it means that God has sent salvation and redemption into our life. And so Luke is very specific as he tells the story all the way from the birth of Christ 
He brings us into the teachings, the miraculous things that Jesus did, opening the eyes of the blind, raising the dead. He brings us to the point of betrayal where Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends. And then how he was handed over to Jewish leaders. He was then placed in the custody of Roman officials. And even though the Roman leader pronounced him innocent, I find no guilt in this man, he was still sentenced to execution. And he died on a cross. After being beaten, whipped, tortured, he suffocated to death, experiencing one of the most excruciating forms of death ever invented by man. And then he was placed in a borrowed tomb. On Friday evening to Sunday morning, he laid there. And then on Sunday morning, he was raised to new life in God. And everything I just described, the angel there, there were soldiers on the ground as if they were dead. They were laying there and the angel was declaring, he is risen. Don't look for the living among the dead. Jesus is alive. That was the story. But then the very next thing that happens is where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And this is what it says here. Now, on this same day, on resurrection morning, they were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, I'm a little bit of an expert because I've walked 103 miles this year, as I said. And so this walk probably took them about three hours, maybe two and a half, three hours. Now, I can't remember the last time I intentionally walked seven miles. Like if I'm going to go that far, I'm probably going to hop in my car. You're probably going to hop in your car to where you want to go. And that's where Jesus is. He's on this seven mile walk, this two and a half hour journey, this conversation that he's having with them. And the picture that Luke is painting is that they're walking away from the resurrection, that they're actually walking away from Jerusalem. The loss is so much. The grief is so much. I don't know if you've ever been at a point of tragedy where it feels so heavy. You just want to give a, get away. And that's the picture that Luke is painting on this morning, that they're leaving the place where maybe the resurrection has happened, where maybe Jesus is alive, but they can't deal with that kind of grief. And so they begin to walk away. And this is what it says. As they're going, they were talking with each other about everything that has happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Have you ever been in a moment of grief? Have you ever experienced loss like that, where you don't even recognize that God is with you anymore? Where the weight seems so heavy and the burden is so much that you maybe know in your head God is present, but it doesn't feel like he's near to you anymore. It doesn't feel like he's close and you're looking around saying, God, where are you at in the midst of all of this? Where are you at in the midst of my suffering? Where are you at in the midst of this tragedy? And that's where these two disciples, they find themselves. Now, you need to understand this. They knew Jesus very well. Under normal circumstances, they would have recognized who Jesus was because Jesus walked very closely with a number of people. Sometimes in our mind, we think, well, it was just 12 he was close to, right? And then there was this crowd of thousands kind of surrounding him, but but that's not what we see in the gospel. We see Jesus as a very relational guy, that he spends time at the home of Lazarus, his best friend, around Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters. We see that he's close enough, enough with 72 others to pour into them, to intentionally disciple them and grow them. And then he sends them out to do ministry. He sends them out to release um, the sick, to heal the sick, to release um, those that are captive, to preach freedom, to preach the kingdom of God. Jesus is close enough with these 72 that he's saying, hey, I'm trusting the ministry that I'm doing now to you. You go and do this. 
So the picture isn't Jesus that is close to a few and then kind of walks in this crowd. It's this very relational guy. They were probably there with Jesus when he opened the eyes of the blind. They heard the Sermon on the Mount. They heard all of Jesus' teachings and the parables, the stories that Jesus would tell. But yet in this moment, they're kept from recognizing him. That's what grief and that's what loss does. It causes us in some moments to say, God, where are you? It doesn't feel like you're present here. And as Jesus begins to walk with them, he says, what is it that you're discussing as you walk along together? And then they just stop. It says they stood still. Luke wants you to picture in that moment that all of the grief, all of the loss kind of catches up with him. And even taking the next step feels impossible. I don't know if you've been in a moment like that where the weight is so heavy and it feels like it finally has caught you that even getting out of bed in the morning is difficult. Opening up your laptop or driving into work seems so hard. You just want to stop. You just want to quit. And that's the picture that Luke gives us. They just stood still. They can't even take the next step because their hope of a Messiah, their dream for God's redemption has just died and they stand there. And Luke goes on to say that their faces are downcast. And one of them named Cleopas, he asks him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus says, what things? And the irony of it all, the kind of laughing moment in this story is they begin to explain to Jesus who he was. There was this man named Jesus of Nazareth, and he was this amazing prophet. He was this great spiritual teacher. He's this rabbi. He did all of these miraculous things. And then he was betrayed. We had hoped this was God's promise of redemption. We had hoped this was God's plan for rescuing Israel. And now he's dead. And to top it all off, some of our friends said they went to his graveside where he was buried and his body's gone. And we don't know what to make of all of this. We don't know what to do with all of this. And they're trying to explain to Jesus what's happening, the way the story should have gone. And Jesus responds to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Like, didn't you see that this was God's plan all along for redemption and, for redemption and rescuing his people? And he began with Moses and all the prophets and explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as you read this, I, I kind of chuckled as I was reading this this week because we're in moments like that. There are moments in our life where we start to tell God the way the story should end where things don't turn out like we thought. And so we feel the need to explain to God, this is how it should have gone. God, this is what I was hoping for. This is what I thought you would do. This is what I assumed it would be like. And Jesus looks at him and he says, wait, wait, didn't you see God's plan all along? Didn't you understand the story that God was telling? Now this probably would have been like a slap in the face to them because they had, grow, they had grown up reading these scriptures understanding this story, studying their whole life was devoted to knowing God's word. They had sat in synagogue and in the church of their time, Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, hearing what were known as these messianic prophecies, these revelations, these scriptures, these passages, this poetic language about who Christ was, about what the redemption of Israel would look like. And so Jesus is, wait, is like, wait, you, you've not gotten this all along? Did you not understand this? Do you not get what God is up to in the story that God is doing? And sometimes in those moments of grief, we need to just stop. 
instead of telling God the story, this is how it should have gone. We need to allow him to tell us the story from his perspective. And that's what Jesus does. He begins to tell them the scriptures concerning himself. He looks at them and he says, wait, didn't you read Genesis chapter three at the very beginning when sin first entered into the world? And God looked at Satan and he said, I'm cursing you. And there's going to be a moment where you're going to strike redemption's heel. There's going to be a moment where death comes into the picture and it looks like you won. But I'm here to tell you that Christ is going to be victorious, that death does not get the final answer, that he is going to crush your head. You don't get to win, Satan. Jesus is looking at them. Wait, haven't you read Psalms 22? When I talked about raising up a king for Israel, raising up a redeemer, raising up a leader, but even that leader would cry out in a moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Haven't you understood Psalms 118? where I talked about the foundation of my salvation, the foundation of my redemption, that I was gonna place a chief cornerstone to build all of this, to build my kingdom, to build my plan out. But even that cornerstone would be rejected by many. Didn't you get the suffering that was gonna take place in Isaiah 52 and 53, where I said, this is gonna be a suffering servant. This is gonna be someone who's rejected and despised, that even my own people will reject him and that he's gonna be crushed for our iniquities and our sin. Haven't you read Zechariah chapter 12, where I talked about him being pierced for our sins so that we might know the righteousness of God, that the glory of God could be revealed here on this earth. Jesus, passage by passage, page by page, if you will, scroll by scroll, from memorization, he begins to open up the Bible and tell the story from his perspective. And in this moment, the death of Christ, it's exposed all of these misconceptions that even two people that were close to Jesus had. God, we thought you would show up and we thought it would be like this. We thought the king would come in in this triumphal moment and that he would scatter all of our enemies. Have you ever been in there? God, I prayed with all of my heart. God, I cried out to you for you to heal my family member. And God, it didn't happen the cancer is still eating away at their body. God, I prayed for that promotion and I did my best and I tried to honor you through my work. And yet that's the person that gets that management position. That's the person that gets to be in leadership. That's who gets chosen. God, I got on my knees. I asked you to save my marriage. I asked you to restore the brokenness in there. And God, it still ended up in divorce. Where are you at, God? Why is the story going like this. This is not how I imagined it. This is not how I pictured it. This is where those two disciples find themselves in. And they're looking at Jesus saying, we thought it would be a throne. We thought the king would come and establish this palace and this throne to rule on. And Jesus says, no, it's actually about dying on a tree. They imagined a sword and a scepter and him defeating the enemies and crushing all the nations around him. And he said, no, it's actually about suffering for the sins of the world. They pictured this powerful warrior wearing this king, king's crown and leading this kingdom. And Jesus said, no, it's not about a crown. It's actually about a cross. And these misconceptions are exposed in their life. And they don't understand what the death of Christ actually means. And Jesus begins to tell the story from his perspective. This is what God has been up to all along. 
it reminded me of a story that, that I read often. I've mentioned it before, the, written by one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. You may have heard of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, one of the stories where four children enter into this magical kingdom and evil has overtaken the world. The white witch is there and Aslan, this symbol of Jesus, comes in and he roars and he defeats the white witch and all of the enemies of Narnia are scattered. Well, in a later story, the four children are brought back into this magical kingdom and evil has once again taken over the world. And when Lucy, one of the children, she sees Aslan for the first time, he gives her some instructions and she's like, Aslan, that's not the way the story should go. And this is what she says right here. Aslan, I was so happy when I saw you again because I thought you'd come in and you'd let me stay with you. I thought you'd come and roar and frighten away all of my enemies just like you did the last time. But that's not what you're saying. Everything is going bad, Aslan. It's going to be horrid. And this lion leans into Lucy. And he says, Lucy, I know this is so hard for you to hear. But things never happen the same way twice. I never do things exactly the same way twice. God was up to something new. That's what Jesus is revealing to these disciples. You may have thought it was going to look like this. You may have thought that the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer would come in and red seas would part again and walls would come tumbling down and, and the enemies would be destroyed. But God is actually up to something new. He's not concerning. He's not concerned about ruling from a kingdom or from a throne. He wants to rule in the hearts of women and men all around the world. God is doing something new in this moment. And these two and a half hours, this conversation, this seven mile walk that Jesus has with these two disciples, it's so intriguing, they don't want it to stop. And so Luke continues to tell the story. And when they get to the village, when they get to the house, they're begging Jesus, hey, you gotta stay with us. Can you just hang out a little bit longer? I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation like that where you look down at your watch and you think, okay, 10 minutes has passed and it's really been a couple of hours, but you don't want it to end. That's where they're at. And they don't even know who Jesus is yet. It's still a stranger to them. But his words are so powerful. They're saying, would you just come in and eat a meal? Would you keep talking? Would you keep speaking to us? Help us understand what this death looks like and what this means, what God is really up to. And so Jesus does that. And it says he's sitting down at the table with them. And as he's there, he took bread and he gives thanks. He blesses it. He broke it and he began to give it to them. And then look what happens. In this moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? Did you feel that too? Like, did you sense that, that something special was there in that moment and in that conversation while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us? Now I'm reading through this story and as I said, Luke is choosing every word and every detail. He's telling us this story for a very specific reason. And he gets to this point and it's here that their eyes are opened. It's in this moment God chooses to reveal himself that this is Jesus talking to them all along. And why is that? It's because God was showing them this is what I've been up to all along. And if we were in a movie and the disciples were there and we were seeing, there would kind of be these flashbacks back to the very beginning of Jesus beginning to minister publicly where God took his life, took him in his hands in the desert through those 40 days of prayer and of fasting. He takes him, he blesses him at the river Jordan when he's baptized. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then he takes his life and breaks it and he gives it out to the world. This is what God's been up to all along. 
It would have been flashbacks to the side of a mountain where there's over 5,000 people and all as they have it's lunchtime and all as they have is a little kid's sack lunch, like a lunchable, and there's a few fish and there's some loaves of bread and the disciples are like, there's no way you're gonna feed this many people. And what does Jesus do? He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it. It would have been flashbacks to just a few nights earlier at the Lord's table, at the Lord's supper, right? This meal that Jewish people and in the Jewish culture, they had ate together for thousands of years. And it's in this moment that Jesus takes it and he gives it a new meaning when he takes the bread and he gives thanks, God, thank you for this. And he blesses it and he breaks it. And then he gives it to them. And he says, now this is a symbol of my body that was broken for you. And all of a sudden the light bulb comes on. Their hearts begin to jump inside of them. Did you feel that? Did you sense that too, that God is up to something? And it's in that moment that they realized death was inevitable. This was God's plan all along, that God was taking the death of Christ and it required the cross in order for the resurrection to happen. And so look what, look what takes place here. Look what's happening in their life. Jesus takes their misconceptions and he begins to move them in a new direction. Jesus takes their misconceptions, all of these ideas about how the story should go and what God should do, and he begins to move them in a different direction. They got up immediately and returned at once to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it's true. Hey, all of this is real. This really happened. The Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They're saying, we get it now. It makes sense. Like we see it. God was up to this all along. Jesus had to die. And it's through his life that God took his life and it blessed it and he broke it to be given to the world. Jesus had to die so that everyone could experience the righteousness of God. And all of a sudden they realize that sometimes it's the tragedies Sometimes it's the loss. Sometimes it's those difficult moments. It's those moments where we don't know where to turn or what's gonna happen next, that God says, I'm gonna turn those around and I'm gonna bring resurrection and I'm gonna do something new. And, and I've got this plan that you haven't seen yet, but let me tell you the story from my perspective. Let me tell you what I've really been up to and what's going on. And so the question for us church is, what are we gonna do when we face tragedy? because you're gonna experience loss. Even in moments like this, so we're in in our world where there's financial loss, where there's death around us, where there's uncertainty. God, what is this gonna look like on the other side? We have this opportunity like the disciples to stop talking, to have a conversation with Jesus, to allow him to expose some of our misconceptions. That's what loss, that's what death, that's what tragedy does. And to begin to tell us the story from his perspective and to lead us in a new direction, to set our course in our life on a new path. That's what happens here in these disciples' lives. That's why over the next few decades, we see them in India, we see them in North Africa, we see them over in Asia, we see them in Europe. They're going all over the place. Why? They're willing to give their life because the resurrection has changed them. It's headed them in a new direction. They're no longer running from death. They're no longer running from tragedy, but they're trusting God in the midst of all of that, that resurrection is coming. And so they're willing to be crucified upside down they're willing to be imprisoned. They're willing to be beaten. They're willing to go to the ends of the earth to leave their home and to tell this good news. Jesus has come and he takes the death and he takes the loss and he takes the tragedy in our life and he makes something beautiful out of it all.
And there may be those of you this morning that you need to hear that. And the power of this story is not that it happened 2,000 years ago. It's not that this happened over 2,000 years ago and that's kind of the end. It's that God is still doing that today. God is taking brokenness. God is taking loss. God is taking tragedy. God is taking hopelessness. And he's bringing resurrection power. He's bringing a new direction into our lives. He's calling us with purpose and with meaning and he's still doing it today. That's what God is doing. He's taking the grief and the loss in our life and he's making something beautiful and something new out of it. And I wanna pray for you this morning. There may be those of you that are listening that you're at that point that those two disciples were at. Maybe you're even walking away from faith and you're like, God, it hurts too much. It's so difficult, the pain of this life, Lord. And I don't know how to make sense of all of this, God. I thought you would do this. I thought you would show up like this, God. And that's not what it looks like right now in my life. And this morning, God's inviting you into his story. And this morning, Jesus wants to walk with you. And throughout the pain in your life, he wants to tell you the story from his perspective. And maybe you're here and up until this moment, you haven't really thought about a God that is relational, that wants to walk with you, that wants to have a conversation, that's concerned about what's going on in your life and everything that's happening. And he wants to take even the tragic parts of your story and he wants to bring resurrection and new life to them. But I'm telling you, that's what he's inviting you into this morning. And if that's you and you're listening to this, you're not listening by accident. God is inviting you in this morning. He wants to change your life. He wants to bring purpose and meaning in a new direction. And I wanna pray with you. And I'm gonna lead in this prayer. And I want you to just repeat it after me. I want you to mean it in your heart. Let's pray together this morning. If you're here and you're saying, hey, my relationship with God is not where it needs to be. I'm walking away from faith, but, but this morning, I want God to take the broken pieces of my life and I want him to do something amazing with it. Then say this prayer after me, Jesus, I come before you and I realize the brokenness in my life. God, I realize I can't tell you the story. I shouldn't be telling you how it should go or how it should end. God, this morning I realized that I've sinned. I've missed the mark. God, I failed you and I need your forgiveness. I can't fix myself. I can't make it better on my own. And so I come to the cross. I come to the resurrection and I surrender my life to you. So be the Lord of my life. Be the savior of my life. Jesus, walk with me from this day forward. Give me a brand new start and a brand new direction. And I pray this in your name, amen. And if you just prayed that prayer, the Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing, that heaven actually throws a party when even just one person prays that prayer of repentance and asks God to come into their life and to change them and to make them new. And if that's you, we are so excited. We're celebrating with you. We believe that today it's a pivotal point. It's a turning point, just like with these two disciples that they turned around and they headed back in a new direction. That's what God is doing in your life. And for all of us, I wanna pray one more prayer that as we're walking through this time and maybe you're in a time of tragedy or you're in a time of grief, maybe your finances have been hit during this time, someone close to you has lost their life or, or they're sick and you're afraid in this moment. I wanna pray that God would even take those moments of grief and tragedy that we would stop and listen to the story from God's perspective, 
that he would bring a new direction, a new purpose into our life. So I'm gonna lead out, but this time, I don't want you to repeat after me. I want you in your own heart, you don't have to say any special words, but would you pray and just in your own words, ask God to help you, to help give you that new perspective, to turn even those tragic moments in your life into something beautiful. Let's pray together. So Jesus, we say thank you because Easter Sunday, God, resurrection is a picture of new life, God. And this is what you've been up to all along, that sometimes it's our dreams, God. Sometimes it's the things in our life that have to die, Lord, in order for you to bring new life. God, in order for resurrection and a new purpose and a new direction and a new meaning for our life to come forth. And so, God, I pray that over each and every one of us, God, you walk through our grief. You walk through our suffering. God, you walk through our pain. You walk through those difficult moments with us, God, and you bring new life and a resurrection to each and every one of us, God. So as we step out this week, we step out in hope. We step out in faith, God. We step out with a new purpose and a new direction that you would use our lives, Lord, to spread this hope, God, to spread your love, to spread the gospel to everyone that we come in contact with, Lord, that you take those misconceptions in our life, God, and you do something beautiful with them and you bring a new direction, God. And we pray this in your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Ask God to speak to you about your current situation from his perspective. And this might be through Bible study, your thoughts, or even just a moment quieting your heart and listening to his voice and his leading. Here at NCC, we are all about making people and places new. And we want to know how we can help you grow in your faith. So connect with us online at newcommunity.co. We would love to hear from you.